And there's a very important thing that we've got to do. It's a kid's song. <laughs> yeah, Martha's like, yes, that is very important. I have had very good reviews on the Socket to the Devil song. So, are we brave enough? Yes. Samantha's like, yes. All right. You guys remember it? Just got to follow along. You ready? If you love Jesus, if you love Jesus clap your hands. If you love Jesus, stomp your feet. That's a lot. <laughs> Not only am I on Facebook and YouTube, I'm seen to be on Instagram. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> hey. I'm already on YouTube, I guarantee that. Someday there's gonna be a reel of my life and it's only gonna be kids' songs. Singing and dancing. Alright guys, before I get started preaching at you today. I got a question. No, I'm sorry. Just a question. My question is, are you living your best life? Hmm. That's kind of a popular thing right now, right? Living your best life. And uh, it's popular because it's something we want. We want to be living our best life. And if you hop on or maybe you ask friends or family, Maybe you hop on Instagram or whatever, and you look at people living their best life, supposedly. You might find things like this. Grilling a steak. Out in the mountains. Riding a dirt bike. Sitting on the beach. Sitting at the pool with a frosty beverage. Flying to an exotic location. Or maybe you just want a spa day. Living your best life, right? Living your best life. I just dare you to put in the hashtag, you know, living my best life. This is the stuff you'll find. And I agree with most of this stuff. I love a grilled steak. I love the mountains. I love the dirt bike. The beach is okay. Pools are pretty nice. I love going to the hot springs. Airplanes always take you fun places. And I mean, that looks relaxing, right? I'm on board with all of this stuff but it ain't living your best life. Hope I'm not ruining your world here. Because when I ask you, are you living your best life? I mean, are you living your best life for Christ? Or in Christ? Let me use those kind of uh, interchangeably. For Christ, in Christ. They're going to work together today. 
because all of those pictures look fine and awesome, and God made some of that stuff. He made cows so we could have steaks. And he made JD so he could raise cows so we could have steaks. Yeah. All of that stuff is awesome, but it, it ain't living your best life. Yeah, my grammar Nazis, I know. I know how to say it like that. Because when I'm talking about living your best life, I'm talking about living your best life for Christ in Christ. And this, these past two months, we've been doing this series on All In. And then Larry came up here last week and talked about your focus when it comes to this life, where, where God focuses so much more than all the other junk that goes on in this world, because it's true. No matter who's running, running the show, God's running the show. And all of these things that we've been talking about, I, th- I was like, man, this, this connects to all of them. Because being all in or having the right focus, being committed, being a good father, all of these things we talked about the past two months, if we do those, we could be living our best life in Christ. We could really be living our best life. Whether you got the Instagram pictures for it or not. In fact, like Joel read for us this morning, this is the call for Christians. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 The top is the New Living Translation. The bottom might be what yours looks like a little more. But those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Or whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. No matter which version you're cracking open today, the point is the same, right? If you live in God or you abide in him, God... You should live like Jesus lived or walk the way which he walked. If you're a Christian, you should have your best life be in Christ. And you should walk like him, look like him, act like him as much as you can. Because Jesus walked differently than the world. If there's one simple way we could talk about Jesus being different, it's that he walked differently than the world. But what does living like Christ look like? If we're walking in the way which he walked or living our lives as Jesus did, what does that look like? Well, if you're to ask somebody, what what did Jesus do? What did he look like in this life? You might come up with a couple of quick answers that are pretty good. Jesus was accepting. He was. The woman at the well, he was accepting. Jesus was loving. He was. Jesus was calm and collected. He sat down in the sand. He told him to throw the first stone. Jesus was loving. Jesus was calm. Jesus was accepting. Jesus was humble. You can come up with all of these little little words, maybe catchphrases that we we would call Jesus. But you know a part we don't think about very often when we're talking about the life that Jesus lived? We think about it, but we don't hang on to it because it's hard, is that Jesus suffered. Read with me here in Isaiah 53, and you might be like, Harold, why are you going all the way back there? Well, I love Isaiah 53, and I didn't put it up there because I got a chunk of it, right? Twelve verses, the whole chapter. Isaiah 53, I love it because this is an Old Testament prophet. And we've got an entire book from an Old Testament prophet about Jesus Christ. 
This is a message from God given to an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, that he gave to the people. And the entire time, you read it with me and, and tell me I'm wrong. The entire time he's talking about Jesus. 700 years before Jesus came to the earth, Isaiah never got to meet him face to face. But yet he said this, because God said this. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him he was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we are like sheep who've gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers, silent. So he opened not his mouth. But oppression and judgment by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of people, they made his grave with the wicked and the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. With his soul he makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The Lord will, shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Whew. You read that and you're like, oh man, why is Isaiah? He's got some poetic words, right? It's Old Testament sounding. But you think about the content here for a second, and you're like, well, this has got to be after Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. It's even in the past tense. I don't know if you noticed that. This is before Jesus. This is God's plan. 700 years, it's already being given by God to man. But it's poetic, it's wordy, it's Old Testament, it's prophecy. But what's the point I wanted to point out in that? If you read this, would you really want to be in Jesus' shoes? He suffered for many. He is crushed by the Lord. He is spit on by his people. It sounds like not stuff that we want to do right now. But yet, living our best life is living our best life like Jesus, in Jesus, 
for Jesus. And Jesus looked like he was despised and rejected. In fact, that's the words that were used right there. So have you let that hit home before? Or is that just something you're like, I know that? We even sing it. We've got a song that goes, You were despised, you were rejected, Lord, people pass by. And keeps going about how awful Jesus suffered, how terrible it was. That should be a convicting song. This should be a convicting verse because we're called to live like Jesus. It's called living our best life, suffering and all, despised and all, people rejecting us and all. Let that hit home. Let that sink. It's not the only thing we're going to talk about today. But let that sink in for a second because if Jesus bore our sins and we want to live our best life for him, it might look like suffering. It might not look so Instagrammable. Even though those things are great in life, not, not, not banning stakes. Just saying Jesus suffered. And I'm calling you to live your best life and me to live my best life like Jesus. Let me tell you a story. Ah, let me, it's Jesus' story. I'll just read it to you. It's Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is a story, and it is a story. It's not, it's, it's not you know, real life. It's, it's a parable from Jesus. This is a story Jesus uses to tell people how to deal with the fact that it's not always going to be the way you want it. Talking about Jesus being suffering, living our best life, that's not what I want. Well, Jesus works us through that in this parable about the vineyard owner. If you haven't heard this one, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to read it out of the NLT today just to keep it a little easier to understand, um, you know, with, with different money values and all that stuff. But read this with me, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out one early morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay the normal daily wage, and he sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same exact thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, no one hired us. So the landowner told them, then go join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and to pay them. And beginning with the last workers first, when those, who, when those he hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they were going to receive more. But they too were paid one day's wage. When they received their pay, their pay they protested to the owner. Yo, th they didn't say yo, that was Harold. These people, yo, these people, they only worked one hour. Yet you paid them just as much as us who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. 
Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? And should you be jealous because I was kind to others? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will now be last. You know, I'd be thinking to yourself, talking about living my best life, living your best life, and I threw this story from Jesus in there. Why did I throw this story from Jesus? Well, he was teaching people, and right now he's teaching people. There's a lesson to be learned in a story about uh, a grape vineyard and workers, right? Did you catch how the story went? Right away in the morning, went and got workers from the Home Depot parking lot. He went back at 9, he went back at noon, he went back at 3, and at 5 o'clock. You know, 5 o'clock, that means one hour of work left in the day. The end of the day comes, he pays, starting from the one-hour-a-day worker, he paid him a whole day's wages. That's a good deal. That's incredible. And as he started paying everybody, he paid everyone a whole day's wages. And the people who were hired right away in the morning started to complain because they thought they were going to get more, but the point was they had agreed to work for a day's wages. It's a good deal. But they thought they deserved more because they'd been there longer, they deserved it more, right? They had more clout behind it than an hour of work. But really, they deserved, if you even want to use that term, they agreed to a day's wages. We can fall into this trap as well. We have been guaranteed and given as Christians more than a day's wages. It's called eternity in heaven. It's a fair offering and it's not fair because of what we have done. It's an awesome offering. And we can fall into this same trap where we start to think we're the ones that worked in the morning and people are squeezing in right at the end. Ah, it's so annoying when people just become Christians and, you know, they just easy for them. And, oh. Guys, we have already been given the ultimate payment. It's called eternity in heaven from the sacrifice of Jesus. So what's this parable really about? Well, it's really about that very last line, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's more than just something to quote to your kids in the, in the school lunch line. Helps there too, right? But what it's talking about is being humble because you have already been given the reward. And so if Jesus suffered and was despised, and we're supposed to live like Jesus, that's living your best life, I think a simple word we could use if we really took it home would be, be humble. Let the last be first and the first be last. Let Jesus teach us what that means. That might be actually living your best life. So how does that affect your life? If Jesus is teaching you to be humble, teaching you to suffer, your best life is starting to look different than you might want. In fact, Paul would write to the church in Philippi and Philippians, he would kind of break down what this life in Christ with suffering and humility might look like. Humility is the big word that I think Paul hits on too. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. I'm reading now the ESV on this one. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility 
count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equally with God to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He's writing to people and Christians, the church, and he tells them to not do anything out of selfish ambition and to be humbled. In humility is the word he used. Humbled is the word. Humbled. Look after other people before yourselves. Look after others' interests before your own. It's so simple. It sounds so simple when Paul writes it, right? It's, it's so simple compared to thinking about the suffering that Jesus went through. This is the steps I can do. I just got to take care of other people, not be too selfish, be humble. It sounds simple, but is it? Living a life for Christ sounds like a lifetime commitment of work. And you might notice I didn't call this whole sermon thing live life for Christ. It's a good start. When I'm out there talking to people who don't know Christ, they want change in their life, I tell them, live life for Christ. Change will come to your life. But I'm not talking to people that are out there who've never heard Jesus today. I'm talking to y'all. Just like Paul was talking to the church in Philippi, I'm talking to you guys here in this building. So this sermon is called Living Your Best Life. Living Your Best Life. I think we can get so comfortable saying, I got it, I checked the box, I'm living life for Christ. You know, I became a Christian. I do Christian-y things sometimes. Sometimes I don't ignore the homeless man. Once a month, maybe. You know. I do Christian-y things. I'm living a life for Christ. But you know what? Kind of like I said in class this morning. Are you there yet? I don't really care if you only live life for Christ. That seems kind of empty to me. Live your best life for Christ. We get pretty complacent doing what we do, taking care of people, doing this thing, serving those people. And soon we're not even doing those things for Christ anymore. We're just doing them because we do them. Taking care of people because that person needs taken care of. Buying somebody a hamburger at McDonald's because that person's hungry. If you're really going to live your best life for Christ, you do it more and more and more each day because your best is yet to come. That's living your best life. That's living your best life. So maybe that's something you could be offended at. If you haven't noticed, I've been trying to put something for you to be offended at in every sermon lately. I was talking to a couple people these past couple of weeks, and I, uh, I, I knew that I was doing that. It's purposeful, okay? I'm not just a grumpy man. Sometimes I am. But it's purposeful, and, and we were talking about that, and I said, yeah, I've, been, I've, I've really been hard 
on the church lately. That's the season that we've been in of challenging us to do more, being hard on you. And so if there's something to be offended at, be offended. Actually, I'm pretty surprised nobody's been mad at me yet because I want you to be. Because you're not living your best life yet. But I want you to because you'll never arrive. The best is yet to come. And it's my job to tell you to do better. Did you know that? Did I know that? Am I brave enough to do that? Well, I'm trying to be, right? Paul would write to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. To Timothy, and if you don't know about Timothy, he's a young man. And Paul was so impressed by his zeal for God, he was raised up by grandma and mom. He's like, Timothy, you're coming on the missionary crew. He was so impressed by Timothy. But by the point we get to 2 Timothy here, Paul and Timothy are apart. Timothy's writing him a letter. And Timothy's at a congregation, a group of Christians. And he's being the minister. The evangelist is the word that Paul's going to use here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So this is what Paul says. This is what your job is, Timothy. It's what it looks like to be a preacher, a minister, an evangelist, whatever word you want to use. He says to him, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers of their own to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, first five verses. You start off and you see Paul talking to Timothy. He comes at him from the grace of God, and he tells him what to do. He tells him to preach the word, be ready all the time. But then he shifts a little bit of a gear from talking about the preacher to the people. He tells him to always be ready and to always be preaching and to live a life that's worthy of that. But then he switches over to the people and he says, because there's a time when people won't want to hear the truth anymore. They will have itchy ears. I like that term. Ears are itchy, right? They'll want to hear what they want to hear. And they will find people to teach them what they want to hear. Thank goodness there's no easy way to find what you want in the world right now, like the internet or anything. Yeah, pretty easy, right? You can hear what you want to hear. You can find what you want to find. And so this might be the part you get offended at, this is us. The call is for Timothy, it's for me and anybody else that's preaching as well. But the challenge is for the people of Timothy and the people right here in this room. We have this problem. We find the teachings that we want to agree with and we call it Christianity by picking our favorites. But that's not living your best life. So it's my job to call us out when we pick and choose. When you have itchy ears and you just want to hear the myths. or just I think what we fall into more often is we just pick the pieces. 
Pick the pieces. I'm telling you a giant piece that you probably forgot to pick is that living your best life for Christ looks hard. It looks like suffering. It looks like putting other people first. It looks like being humble. And like I said, in my opinion, I don't really think God cares that you're living your best life if you're not doing it for him. If you're just out there serving people and doing things and paying people to eat dinner, what's it matter if you're not doing it in the name of Christ? What's it matter if you're not sharing the gospel at the same exact moment? So I think we struggle with all of that because if we're really honest, it's hard to live life like Jesus. It's hard to live your best life because we get so comfortable in living life. Even if you put for Christ on the end of it, it's not full yet. Living life for Christ, great. Live your best life for Christ, better. Even best. And if you really want to live your best life for Christ, every single day, you live better for Christ than the day before. And then you'll start living your best life, and you're never going to arrive, because it's the best one. So I hope I offended you a little bit with these, this sermon and the past few sermons. Maybe I'll back off in the future, I don't know. Because my call is, are you living your best life? Because if you're just living a life, not good enough. Not good enough. Live your best. Let's stand and sing this last song. This is an old hymn that sings like an old hymn, but the story is so incredible because it's, a, it's an everybody. It's just our lives. It's how we operate. Let's sing 695, None of Self and All of Thee. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be When I proudly said to Jesus, all of self.